Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that's wonderful to think that God has said to believers, you are the light of the world. You are to guide the lost out of darkness. And when a person becomes a believer, he becomes a, a light of the world. That means that like a, like a light, he warns people of the dangers of hell. He, he, he Like a lighthouse, warns them. Perilous rocks up there. Okay, now as you go through these Beatitudes here, so-called Beatitudes, in these verses, which are verses three to 14, there's a great transition that takes place right after verse 10. So in the first section, verse three to 10, it's different from the next section, 11 to 14. What's the difference? What is the difference in the section three to 10 from the section 11 to 14? Say it again. Yeah, they to you. See, do you see? Everybody see that? In verses three to ten, it's all about them. It's all about blessed are they. He's teaching you the blessed are them, right? But in verse ten, he changes, and it's now our blessed are ye. So he's pointing to them, and it, and it helps us to see this difference here uh, 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 when you look at verse one, where it says in verse one, and he when he was set. His disciples came unto him. So it's his disciples that he's addressing here. He's explained to them what happens to a lost person who becomes saved. He's going through these steps like we just went through. And so verses 3 to 10, it, that's already happened to the disciples. He's talking about people, uh, others who are coming. His disciples have already gone through being poor in spirit, being mourning, becoming meek and hungering and thirsting after righteousness, becoming merciful having their hearts be made pure, being made peacemakers. They've experienced that. Now they, 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 they've experienced persecution. So when he describes the person going through all of that, he's describing the lost who are going to follow in their steps. But in verse 11 is where the disciples were right at that time. They were being reviled. They were having all manner of evil spoken against them. So that's why he pivots and he, and he turns and, so to speak, points his finger in, in verse 11 when he, he says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you, when persecute you, and shall say all manner against you. See, this is where he's pivoting. For my sake, great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted the, the, the prophets that were before you. Okay? And, and, that, and that's what he's doing here. And, 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 and because this is where, 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 where the disciples were. Okay, that's why you have the transition. But now he turns in verse 14, and he says, ye are the light of the world. That is a fantastic title. You're the light of the world. 
uh, how, isn't it wonderful to watch the morning, the morning, you know, the sunrise? That's fantastic. You know, to see the sun just grow from this dark to this fiery orange and then full of light. I mean, just think of what that was like on the very first time that happened in creation in Genesis 1. When it, when, when it says in, in, in Genesis 1, 1, 1, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, uh, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved and hovered. The Spirit of God, he hovered upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. So in the beginning, there was darkness. And it was a complete darkness. It was like that cave I described there in Slovakia. It was, a, it was no light. And, 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 you know, we don't really know what that's like because at night for us, there's light from the stars. Most of the time, the, the moon is not really a complete darkness. Man doesn't really, doesn't really know how terrible a complete darkness is. In fact, that was the ninth plague on Egypt. It was the, it was the three days of complete darkness, as it says in, in Exodus 10.21, Exodus 10.21, where it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. That little note at the end there is really important. A darkness which may be felt. This is really describing that this darkness is so horrible that it penetrates into the soul. And that was how the earth was in the beginning when it was in a state of complete darkness. In the beginning, there was the darkness and there was the Spirit of God hovering in the darkness. And then there was the voice of God calling for light to break the darkness. And then there was the light that pierced the darkness. And, and you can imagine how good that was. That's why God said he was very good. It was good. He liked that. And, 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 and imagine how good that first light was. Imagine how sweet that first light was as it appeared there and break up the darkness. And, and these are, there are two words that the Bible uses to describe light and the sun. And those two words are found in Ecclesiastes 11.7. Ecclesiastes 11.7 says, Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Those are the two words, sweet and pleasant, that describes light. Why? Because light destroys darkness. Now, what light does is it shines. This is the word that the Bible associates with light. It shines. Now, shine is an interesting word. How would you define shine? What, what definition would you give with shine? And don't use the word shine to define shine. Okay, so what word, how, how would you describe shine? Radiate. Yeah, radiate. Radiate's a good one. What else? Project. Say it. Project. Bright, illuminate. Okay, great. Uh, great, none of you use the word shine. That's good. Okay, <laughs> so uh, it, when you say the word, uh, how about beam? Similar, right? All these words, uh, uh, radiate and project, especially these words, radiate and project. That radiate and project. If a person walked in the door now and started to project on you, you know, you might say, you're in my space, <laughs> you know, you back off, you know. 
Okay, first thing I'm going to start, start radiating on you. Okay, in other words, the concept behind the word shine is a pushing forward, like a projection, like a radiation. It's really an aggressive action. Shine describes an invasion. It's an invasion. Shine, shine describes like an assault on darkness. Shine describes like an attack on, on darkness. And the word shine is what the Bible uses to describe the first morning that we were just talking about in creation when, when light first appeared. And this is the word shine that the Bible uses also to describe a person that experiences their first spiritual morning, morning, you know, the beginning of the day, when a person is born again, when he first has the knowledge that, oh, in Jesus Christ, now, in the face of Jesus Christ, I can see the glory of God. That's a dawning. That's a dawning of a realization which the Bible calls shining out of darkness. Shining out of darkness. This is all given to us in 1 Corinthians 4.6. 1 Corinthians 4.6 where it says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Very, very projecting, very invading, very aggressive here. When 2 Corinthians says, the light shines out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. It means the light aggressively pushed the darkness out of our hearts. And when that happens, we saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is God. That's what we came to recognize, which he said, unless you believe that I am, Unless you believe that I am the I am, you shall all, per uh, you shall all uh, perish in your sins, something like that for God. Anyway, but, but when the Lord used the word shine, he, he, it, was, it was really speaking about a, a projection, go forward. And this is very important when you look at verse 16, verse 16, when it says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine, let it project, let it go, okay. And can you imagine this idea of this assault, this attack, this invasion, this projection, this radiation that happened in, 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 in the first light of creation. When the light shined as the first light, it was really defying the darkness. We can imagine, you know, if you want to put some words to it, you, wanna, you, could, you, could, you, could, uh, you could imagine that light is saying, you are darkness and I am light and, and before me, darkness, you will be conquered. You will retreat. And this, this battle between light and darkness is what the Bible describes, which you just read in John 1.5, John 1.5, when it says, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not, which literally means the darkness could not extinguish it. It could not snuff it out. It wanted to. It tried to. It worked to extinguish, snuff it out, but it could not. The light was invading. The light was projecting. The light was irradiating. The light was moving into this realm of darkness, and the darkness fought, but the darkness didn't win. So just think of that in John 1.5 like this. The light invaded the territory of darkness, and the darkness tried to fight the light and put it out, but the darkness could not, and the darkness had to retreat. 
in defeat. See, with that picture in mind, now when you look at verse 14, Matthew 5, 14, where it says you are the light of the world, that means that to be the light in the world is to engage in a conflict with darkness. And so you put these two together, which is the John 1, 5 verse about a light shining in darkness, the darkness couldn't put it out, along with the verse 14, you are the light of the world, and, and, and you, come, you, come like, you come like this. This is how it comes out. It comes out that you, as the light of the world, you will invade the territory of darkness. Darkness is gonna try to put you out, the light, but the darkness could not overcome you as the light, and so darkness is gonna have to retreat and defeat. And this is the picture of a fight between believers as light and darkness. And this is what's all described in, 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 as the reason for why a person must put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6. He must put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6 because of verse Ephesians 6.12, because of Ephesians 6.12, which says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So a believer in the world is a person who is invading the world of darkness with a great light. Just like it says in the last chapter in, in verse 16, Matthew 4, 16, the people which sat in darkness has seen a great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. So this shows us that when believers make an invasion into the kingdom of darkness by proclaiming the gospel, which is the light, how God, this is all the message about how God has opened the way for sinners to be saved, that the kingdom of darkness is not passive. The kingdom of darkness doesn't sit back. It goes to war, war with the saints, war against believers with a life and death wrestling where the believer relies on the armor of God for both his protection and his assault, his way that he can assault, attack. But in the end, the kingdom of darkness loses and it's not able to stop the children of light. But now in verse 14, the Lord brings out another aspect for believers to consider as the light of the world. And, 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 it, and, it, and it's, his, 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 point is, his point is what? What is his point in verse 14? You are the light of the world and, and then, he, and then he, he says something. What is the point there? Let it shine. Right, okay. Okay, he, sa he says... A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So the focus now, what he's not trying to get us to think about, is a city set on a hill. Anybody ever seen a city set on a hill? Which one? Jerusalem is set on a hill. It's set on Mount Zion. It is. Okay, good. I, 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 I went to a city one time that was set on a hill. It's called Orvieto. In, in Italy, just a little ways outside of Rome. And, and it, it's kind of a, it was kind of an amazing place because it's, on the, it's built on a flat of a summit all around, and, and, and you have to drive a little windy road to get up there, and you can see all around, you know, and, and, and that's why it was a city that the Etruscans, the Etruscans built that city, and then, and then the popes built it. They liked it, too. Anyway, and, and so, so here the Lord is talking about a city set on a hill, and, 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 and what's the point that he's making about the city that's set on the hill? You can't hide it. You can't hide it. You can't be hid. You can't hide it. It can't be hid. It, which means that the city is exposed. 
where, where what goes on in the city is seen by the people below. Now, the city that's sent on the hill, it's, it's great for being able to see below. That's why the Etruscans and the popes wanted it. But the problem is, or the situation is, or whatever, is that everybody from down below can see the city. It can't be hit. It's exposed. That's a word here. It's exposed. And what did the Lord mean when he said that, that we are the light of the world? And, and then he goes on to say, a city that's set on a hill can't be, hit, can't be hit. It's exposed. He meant that when we do our function as being a light in the world, we're going to be the city that's set on the hill that can't be hid. Our lives are going to be like the city that's set on the hill that can't be hid. And so what does it mean to have a life that's as a city set on a hill that can't be hid? It means that to live a life that, that if you're going to do that, you're going to constantly be watched. You're going to be watched like a city on a hill that can't be hid. You're going to, it means that you need to see yourself as, as, as living a life in a stadium that's filled with people that are watching you, and you can't see them, but they are, and, 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 but they can see you. And, and that's exactly what the Bible says about our lives, we're, we're, when it says we're like a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. It's like there's a filled stadium of, with spectators that are surrounding us. We can't see them. And all these spectators are, are, are kind of like a, they surround so much, you could think of these spectators as like a cloud, a giant cloud. And they're over our heads, and they're surrounding us. And this is the description of Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 1. Hebrews 12, 1, which says, Wherefore, seeing, he wants you to see this, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, run with patience the race that is set before us. What he's saying there is that, look, you know, you, you, um, you know, I don't know how I swim, you know, so I swim a lot of mornings. So I swim, and I kind of swim, you know, and swim, you know, and move my 100 laps, you know. But if somebody's there watching me, I swim faster. <laughs> Because I watched my time, I said, well, look at that. I finished three minutes faster, you know. This is the point of this verse, is it's saying, look, you know, uh, you're swimming, but you're being watched. You're being watched by a lot of people here, so, so get rid of that sin. Don't, don't let that sin stay around there. Okay, so the question is, how would our lives be different if we saw our lives as a city that's set on a hill that can't be hid? It, it, it reminds me of... Uh, a long time ago, decades ago, where, where an enemy of, we had an internal enemy in our company and uh, who got uh, copies of all of our emails and then to hurt us, gave them to the local newspaper that printed some of them. And so all of a sudden, you know, we got the newspaper, we're shocked to read these, 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 these emails and, and that never should have been written. And I remember as I was reading them saying to myself, do we really write that? <laughs> How could we have written that? Now, from that experience, that, that we, 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 we tell everybody, we start telling everybody, and we tell today, don't ever write an email that you wouldn't feel comfortable about seeing on the front page of the newspaper, because that's what we did. And, and we tell our staff that, all of that. And that experience changed us as a company, and it made our company to see itself as a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Now, the Bible describes the city, this, this concept of the city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid, in 1 Corinthians 4.9, 1 Corinthians 4.9, 1 
1 Corinthians 4.9 says, we are a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Now, it's very interesting that the word spectacle in 1 Corinthians 4.9 is the Greek word theatron, theatron, which is where we get our word theater from. So it's interesting. Um, you know, at Scanabody's Takati, we have a big auditorium. It seats 2,000 people. And the lighting is set up kind of strange because when you're on the stage there and the lights are, are in your face, and, and they make, and they make the, the audience dark. You know that, Jose Luis, you know. And they make the audience dark. You can't see anyone in the audience. And it's very strange because you, know, you don't know who you're, t- you're talking to darkness is what you're doing, you know. It's very strange. Anyway, and, and if you don't know it, there might be 2,000 people out there or there might be no one out there because you can't see anyone. Well, what 1 Corinthians 4.9 is saying is that we are living our lives on a type of stage where we can't see the audience because the audience, the audience is there. It is there. As a matter of fact, that's what it's saying in 1 Corinthians 4.9, 1 Corinthians 4.9, where it says we are a spectacle, a theater, and it talks about the audience, unto the world and to angels and to men. So we're, we are made an exposed theater spectacle like a city that's set on a hill that can't be hid, and we're completely exposed. And, 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 we've, and we've all been on the phone. We've all been on the phone, and, and we've had the conversation, and the conversation starts off, maybe, maybe somebody says it to you, or maybe it's a report, sometimes it's a recording. This conversation may be, or this conversation is being recorded, and they say for quality purposes, and you never believe it's for quality purposes, but anyway, that's what they say. So people think about that. They think about that when they speak to the persons because, because they realize that what they are saying is being recorded. And they may have to listen to themselves again in a very uncomfortable situation, so they think twice about what they say. Well, to live life, in, as this verse 14, as a city that's set on a hill which cannot be hid, it means to know that all of our words are being recorded, not for quality purposes, but, but for the Lord's purpose, which are explained in Matthew 12, 37. Matthew 12, 37 says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. All right, so this idea in verse 14 of being a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hid, and, ver- and, he, and th- th- that's the verse 14 a city that on it set on a hill that can't be hid, and along with the Hebrews twelve one Hebrews twelve one compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, along with the First Corinthians four nine theater spectacle unto the world to angels and to men. You can put it all together. Reminds us of Samson. Samson, oh Samson, Samson is wonderful and painful. How can one person be wonderful and painful? That's Samson. Because Samson, when you see him here in the private bedroom with Delilah, or at least he thought he was in the private bedroom, he thought he was alone in the private bedroom with Delilah, where, who he had no business being with, where he had no business being. But okay, he was there. And it says in Judges 16.9, Judges 16.9, when he's in this private bedroom having his way with this woman. In, in, in Judges 16.9, it says, now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. 
I mean, I don't know if you, I don't think you want to picture that scene in your mind, but if you just, that's horrible. So there's Samson. He has no idea that there's men hiding in the room. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 